0: We're so glad to see you in church. Those of you who are online, we welcome you again. We want you to receive the word of God. There are some sermon notes that will be put online for you to use as we go into God's word. So we're going to talk about where is God when I need him? How many of you have asked that question? All of you are lying. All of us at some point or another have asked that question. And I want us to go to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want you to read with me verse 11. So let's go. Oh, I don't have that television. See how they treat me here? I'm only joking. I've been playing that for a week. Jeremiah 29, 11. Listen to what it says. Because we have all have quoted or read the scripture or even claimed it. For I know the plans I have for you, to declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you have read that before? How many of you have quoted, or quoted? How many of you believe that deep in your heart, that that's a promise that God has for you? But this is the problem. We read verse 11 without realizing the context of which that scripture was written. Sometimes you can read a scripture and to really get the full meaning of it, you got to go to the scriptures before it or afterwards around it to really know what exactly why that was said. Because you see, in verse 11, God has given us a promise, or he gave the children of Israel a promise as well as us, that he had a good plan for them, that he wanted them to, to prosper, to have your future, not to harm them. But and then in verse 4, listen to what he says. And this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh Uh-oh, there's a problem there. You see, he's given them a promise, but these people are prisoners in another country in a foreign land with a foreign language. Well, we wouldn't say, well, if God is so, it's all of these, has all of these good plans and has all of these good purposes for my life, why hasn't it happened? This is what these people were asking. This is what you and I sometimes ask also. There's no evidence that God is working in your behalf. And at times it seems that way. You feel like your faith is being mocked and your patience stretched to the breaking point. And the question of where is God is a question that perhaps has been asked more than any other question among Christians. Why doesn't he straighten out this mess and bring this long night of waiting to an end? You see, this is not an original question. People have been asking this question for centuries from the beginning of time. So let me give you the history and the context of how and where the, and why this scripture, verse 11, was written. You see, when Jeremiah wrote these words, it was the worst of times. The balance of world power had shifted between nations. Jeremiah's people was caught in the crossfire. Sandwiched in between these fighting superpower was the little country of Judah. The people who live there were hoping for the same simple things that you and I hope for and wish for. You see, they wanted it peace. They wanted it safety. They wanted a job so they can work and take care of their families. They wanted it money for a rainy day and for their retirement. They wanted a place called home. They wanted it children and grandchildren. They wanted to live life to its max. But then the Babylonians come and kill and plunder and steal the best that they had. And God sends Jeremiah with a message for them. Because you see, in the midst of them being exiled prior to that, they had deserted God. These people had turned their back on God. They were out for their own life, do their own thing. And God wanted to do a plan in their life. So God puts them into exile. To, to do a plan in their lives. And he sends Jeremiah. And Jeremiah tells them it's time to make changes in your life. The way that you're living. It's time for God to be first in your life. And all of a sudden these people are thinking what's going on? Jeremiah is telling them quit chasing the, what the world has to offer. And repent and God will heal your broken life. But the catch was this. Things would get worse before they would get better. And this same thing happens to you and I. Things sometimes get worse before they get better. They also have many questions to ask God. You see, questions can either move us closer to God or take us away from God. And the Bible teaches us that God is good and all-powerful, a God who reveals himself, a God who communicates with man. And when one or more of these traits of God seems to be missing, we become disorientated and immediately thrown completely out of balance. So this is the key that I want to leave with you here. You see, what we need is waiting faith. If you're taking your notes, it's waiting faith. You see, waiting faith to see us through the long interim of waiting. You see, this pandemic that has hit the world and hit our country has messed the way we do life. It has shaken the faith of a lot of people. It has ruined many plans that we had, vacations and all kind of businesses and people had so many things planned for 2020 and all of a sudden it's all gone to the dogs You see, but waiting faith does not demand immediate divine intervention. But it accepts the fact that God is constantly working behind the scenes. That God has not deserted us. The children of Israel were in exile in Babylon crying out in agony. Where is God? How can God allow this to happen to us? And it looked like God had done nothing to stop the destruction of Jerusalem by these barbaric Babylonians. He instead silently by, this is how they fell, he he just stood there silently by and let it all happen. While the finest and the fittest of Israel's people were carried away captive. And God seemed to be uninvolved during this whole long captivity that they were in. But he reminds them in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God, God is in Israel, says, all that, says to all of these I carried to exile. I was the one that put you in exile. Now stop and think about it. Sometimes some things happen to us that aren't good and you immediately want to blame the devil and God just let it happen. God just willed it to happen to teach you in our lesson, to bring you to the place that he wants us to be. And then in verse 11, he made it clear that his plan and purpose was for Israel's eventual benefit and good. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And these two verses give us the foundation for strong, waiting faith. I want you to write that down and I want you to remember. We talk about faith, but we're talking about waiting faith. You see in verse 4 it reveals that God is working even when we can't see him and he, in verse 11 he, he insists that God is our welfare he has our welfare mind in everything he's doing for us and through Jeremiah God wrote a strong and clear message that he had not been silent or weak or inactive in all of Israel's doings and all of their suffering God was working behind the scenes to preserve the faith of a remnant of people that he loved and cared for. And it was ultimately the future of Israel. They would plan for restoration and redemption. God had it all worked out that Israel could only see defeat and despair. But they could not see God working behind the scenes. It was impossible for them to see that. And neither can you and I. We have situations that come into our life and all we can see is destruction and terror and the bad and the negative and the wrong and immediately we turn our backs on God and we blame God. Where are you when I need you? Why haven't you done something? You see, that's why it must be waiting faith. The faith that allows you and I to wait. Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And regardless of whether we see God behind the scenes or not, waiting faith can restore hope, conquer doubt, and it can erase the bitterness that sometimes gets into our heart when we don't see things happen the way we want it. Waiting faith is not the kind of faith that takes control and changes things the way we want them. You see, when you look at faith, faith is an action word. It has feet, it has hands, it has a mouth, it has ears. Faith is something that makes you do something. But there comes a time that we have to shift. And we have to shift into waiting faith. It is all in God's hands. It takes the same amount of energy and determination to be still as it does to be active. And we have to understand that. There comes a time that faith says, move, do, don't be still. And there comes a time that faith says, wait, wait on God, trust in God, don't move, stay the course. God is working behind the scenes to perform a tremendous miracle in your life. You see, we do not always have to see the evidence to believe that God is working behind the scenes. Knowing the difference between action faith and waiting faith may keep us from losing our faith altogether. And we must keep praying and waiting and believing by faith that God is working for us, even though we can't see the evidence of it. The strongest faith of all faith is waiting faith. It's waiting faith. That's when you got to say, okay, Lord, I don't see anything happening. I don't see nothing good in this situation. It's all caving in on me, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to stay the course with you and trust you. You see, it's waiting faith. To develop waiting faith that sees God behind the scenes, three questions must be asked. If you're taking your notes, here's number one. Is faith a cop-out? Is faith a cop-out? Faith is not a cop-out, nor is it an easy approach to problems. Without waiting that, that believes God is at work, we would soon lose our hope and perhaps even lose our minds. We all need someone to help us through the hard times. And the lack of faith has made many to turn to destructive behaviors like drugs and alcohol and violence and hate and resentment or feelings that God is not worth serving. I've seen through my 48 48 years of ministry, I've seen many good people just leave God and walk away from God because God didn't come to their aid when they thought that he should have been there. How can we develop waiting faith when we're ashamed to admit that there's times that we need God's assurance that he is still there with us, that he's not abandoning us, and when you are exercising waiting faith, that faith leads us to constructive behavior like prayer. While you're waiting, you pray. While you're waiting, you ask. You knock and you seek. While you're waiting, you read your Bible. You get into a small group. You get involved with one of our dream teams and you serve God. And you go out on serve day and you serve people. You get out of your mentality of what your problem is. And you begin to share and help somebody in their problem. You see, it leads you to do something constructive. It leads you to hang around with Christian friends and family members. And in the meantime, you do life. You don't stop doing life. And once we're convinced that faith is not a cop-out or a cheap escape, but that it's necessary in order to exist, and then we need to ask a second question. And that is the silence means mean absence. The silence mean absence. When revelation and communication from God are not happening, it is a na- it's natural for us to ask, where is God when I need him? Because we want action all the time. Okay, God, do something. You see, waiting faith teaches us that silence does not necessarily mean that God is absent. At first, it may seem like the devil is winning. Instead, waiting faith is a deliberate hand of God working out the details of his plan in your life. The key is be still and know that he is God. Don't move. Go on with your life. Keep trusting him. In due season, he will move in your behalf. You take the story of Joseph. When Joseph was a little rat boy Who thought he knew everything and he had a coat of many colors because he was a spoiled brat by his daddy. His brother got tired of him and when he went out to meet his brothers they took him and they were going to kill him. Instead they sold him to a caravan of merchants that were going to Egypt. They took the coat of many colors and they poured blood from an animal and went back and told his dad that he was killed by an animal. He no longer existed. Meanwhile, this caravan of merchants took him to Egypt to a foreign country with a foreign language, people he knew nothing about as a kid, probably 14, 13, 14 years of age. They sold him and a man, Potiphar, bought him. And as he grew in his home, he realized how much this young man knew and how blessed he was and how anointed he put him in charge of his household and his business. But Potiphar would go on business trips and he had a wife that kind of had a little problem. She liked the boys, so she tried to put the make on Joseph. And Joseph, if you read the Bible, Joseph said, "I can't, I can't betray God. There's no way I'm going to turn my back on God." She got mad and she told Potiphar a lie. Potiphar had him committed to prison. He spent years. This whole process took 14 years. Can you imagine as a boy and you got 14 years in another country not knowing what's happening with your relatives, the whole time you're trusting God and you're having faith in God and you're wondering, God, where are you? I'm in this dungeon of a prison. But one day he interpreted a dream for the king that nobody could do and the king had him brought out. And you all know the end of the story. The king put him in charge, second in command, Of the distribution of food because there was a famine of seven years. And he not only fed Egypt, but he fed fed the world as it was known then. And his brothers who had sold him had to come to Egypt to get food. And when they realized that Joseph was the the prime minister, they trembled in fear because he said he's going to retaliate against us. But listen to what Joseph tells them in Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save people alive. You meant it for bad, but God knew what he was doing. I suffered, yes. I went through turmoil, yes. But you know what? I hung in there with waiting faith and God has seen me through. And now, centuries later, these same Jewish people that are Joseph descendants had a hard time seeing the hand of God in their Babylonian exile. And history tells us different. God had chosen them for a purpose that they did not want. So God, God allowed them to be taken into captivity to Babylon. This pandemic That has hit this nation and hit this world. Was not caused by God. But God allowed it. Listen to me. God allowed it. God knew it was coming. God could have stopped it. But he didn't stop it. And there's people that say. God how could you do that. God has a plan and a purpose. The truth is that from start to finish. God was never anything but for those people in Israel. And we must believe that he has always been and still is for you and I. Listen to what Romans 8:31 says. If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, when Paul gave these words of hope, he gave it within the context of describing the terrible hard times the early church was going through and it was experiencing. And he said, We've been through tribulation, through distresses, through persecution, through famine, through nakedness, through perils of swords, sheep. Like going through the slaughter. He says, all of these things have happened to us. Yet in the midst of all of these things, he comes a resounding assurance. God is with us. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you and I go through a little hassle and we fall apart. And the first thing we do is quit praying, quit serving God. We we go pouting. Like little babies. You say, Oh, Brother Ron, I I can't believe you said that. Well, that's tough. I said it. (laughs) Give me a a break. Come on. We need to get a life here. God has greater plans for you and I in the midst of our pain and suffering. If we trust Him, God is going to see us through. God is not raising wimps, we're part of an army. Powerful, strong people, the dry bones will rise again. And God is, God is working even now in the events of our lives and in the lives of others who will influence our destiny. He is preparing us for the time when we will be given the opportunity to choose the best he has for us. And this brings us to question number three, how does God work? You see, the ultimate in waiting faith is that we must let God be God. Let him work as he chooses without ever asking about his methods. You know what we want? Tell me how you're going to do that, God. Give me an explanation. Job did that, and God told him to shut up, mind his own business. You read Job 38. He said, hey, did you make the seas? Did you make the sky? Did you do this? this, this?" Was that you who did it, or was it me? You see, and we we want God to tell us how. Because human nature always will ask how. How are you going to do it? And one of the ways to understand how God works is to take the positive approach. And this is to eliminate all unacceptable, unbiblical images of God that have cluttered our minds. And go to the word of God. Let the word of God begin to dictate what we ought to believe in. Because our concept of God is how he works will shape our waiting faith while we're waiting. How you look at God when you're waiting will determine how the outcome is going to be. And sometimes regardless of the mess that we get ourselves into, in the back of our minds, we think God at any minute now is going to swoop down and bail us out. You know how quick it is for us to get into a jam. And then when we can't seem to get out, oh God, you got to come now, now. That's like the man when I was growing up in church who came to the altar and he was addicted to alcohol and cigarettes and he took out his pack of cigarettes and he went to, <laughs> he went to give them to my daddy. He said, I don't want those cigarettes. I didn't give you those cigarettes. Well, I'm going to bring them to the Lord so the Lord didn't give them to you either. Take them and throw them in the garbage can. See, we're good to get into a jam and then expect that God's going to come down and we're going to claim God. He's going to come down and sweep and get us up. No, no. God doesn't spoil his children like we do our children. You see, we want to manage our own affairs, our own lives, make our own decisions, That put us into hopeless situations. And as soon as we. You see as soon as you and I begin to realize. And accept God's plan and purpose for our life. We will then begin to do away with those negative ideas. Of how God is going to work on our behalf. And get rid of the quick fixes. That we think God is going to display for us. Everything must go through him before it hits us. And if it hits us. We at least know that it has passed his inspection. And gotten his okay. Go ask Job. He'll tell you. And when something bad comes our way and we become negative, we only see darkness. And then it becomes anxiousness, comfortless, hopelessness, and it becomes total defeat in our lives. Listen to Romans eight twenty eight: All things work together for good to those who, who, are, who love God and who are called according to his purposes. Now, let's go back to Jeremiah because this thing gets better. Jeremiah, listen to what he tells them. Now here they are captive, whining and complaining. The in the enemy camp in an enemy nation as slaves. And Jeremiah 29, 5 says, God tells Jeremiah, tell these people this build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. How can that be? This is not our country. We're not in Jerusalem. You want us to build houses here and gardens and eat? Why don't you come down and deliver us from this mess? You know what this actually really means for you and I? This means that during hard times... Real life must go on. And being active helps in our recovery. You got to go on doing life. You can't stop doing life. You can't shut yourself down and get bitter and get angry. You got to go on doing life with God's help and waiting on God and his due season to bring us the answer. This is the verse 6 of Jeremiah 29. He goes on. This is the gets gets even better. He says, "Marry, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give them daughters in marriage so that they too may, may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there and do not decrease. God is unloading the whole enchilada on these people. He says, "Marry your daughters. Marry your sons. Have children, have grandchildren. Increase, don't decrease. Don't stop doing life. Don't be a quitter. Family life must always continue. Bitterness and anger are normal human emotions. And this happens when our dreams have been destroyed. And our hearts have been broken. And our plans have been ruined. You see it is one thing to be put in a waiting room. But to be there while angry is another thing. Because if you're angry while you're waiting. God will never bring an answer to your life. Because it's in the waiting room that we deal with the things that can destroy us. Every one of us, listen to me, every one of us will be put in a waiting room at different times in our life. And in that waiting room, let me tell you what's there. Nothing but you in the middle of the room in a chair. It's dark in there. The door is closed, but not locked. You can get up and walk out if you want. But I guarantee you, sooner or later, you're going to have to go back to that waiting room and go to whatever God wants you to go before God gives you an answer. Or you could sit in that room and not leave and be angry the whole time and bitter and upset and turn your back on God and wind up destroying yourself. The Israelites were consumed with hatred for the Babylonian captors. The Babylonians had destroyed their cities, their temple, their crops were burned. Their families were shattered. And the psalmist in in Psalm 137 gives us a description of what he felt while in that that land of bondage. And in Psalm 137 verses 1 through 4, listen to, and I'm going to break this down to you. Listen to what he says in verse 1. Besides the rivers of Babylon, we thought about Jerusalem and we sat down and cried. You want me to give you the modern day translation of that? All we could think of was the past. Oh, Jerusalem. Our houses were back there, our gardens. That tree we planted in mama's name. They chopped it down probably for wood. Oh, I wish I was back in Jerusalem. How many people I heard say, oh, we want the good old days. The good old days. I've heard good old days. anyhow, didn't have air conditioning. And if you had to get out of the bedroom in the middle of the night, you had to walk out the door and go to the outhouse. Come on, what good old days? Give me that good to old time religion. No, baloney with that. I like it the way it is the here and now. So listen to what they go on and said. Verse two, we hung our small harps on the willow trees. Listen, there's meaning to that. You see the Israelites were people of worship. They had, they danced. They played their harps and their tambourines and they danced before the Lord. That was part of their worship all the time. And now they get come into Babylon and they no longer worship God. They hung their harps on the willow trees. They quit worshiping. And when you and I go through trials, that's the first thing we do. I don't want to sing. I would like to know how many of you sang during the worship service. My God, I have mercy on you. Hope God wakes you up in the middle of the night. Singing. (laughs) Listen to verse 3. Our enemies have brought us here as their prisoners, and now they want us to sing and entertain them. They insult us and shout, sing about Zion. Here in a foreign land, how can we sing about the Lord? In other words, in the midst of my trial, how can I sing the praises to God? How can I sing about the dry bones living again? See, that's what we got to do in the midst of waiting. They were angry and bitter. They refused to sing for for their captors. Listen to the psalmist when he says this in verse 5 and 6. Jerusalem, listen to their mind. They're reminiscing now. It was getting nostalgic. They were reminiscing. Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my right hand go limb. (laughs) Can you believe that? If I forget you, Jerusalem, just let my hand not work. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't think about you above all else. They were they were hung up on the past. He wasn't ever going to forget Jerusalem. Oh no, they weren't gonna do that. Listen to verse 7. Oh Lord, listen to this. Now it gets even worse. Oh Lord, punish the Edomites. Because the day Jerusalem fell, they shouted completely, destroy the city, tear down every building. The psalmist tries to tell God not to forget what has been done to Jerusalem like if God didn't know about it. He wanted Babylon to be treated in the same way. And listen to what he says in verse 8 and 9. Babylon, you are doomed. You are doomed. I pray the Lord's blessing on anyone who punishes you for what you did to us. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children against a rock. Let's get nasty here, man. And you know what? You and I want to admit it, but when somebody does this wrong, in my early days of, my early days of pastoring, I was stand in front of the church and I said, God, why don't you give me one of those supernatural zip guns? <laughs> yep. I, I had a couple of witches here in the church, they were supposed to be Christians. They were going to tell me when to preach, how to preach, where to go, where not to go. And I said, you didn't bring me here. You're not going to let you're not going to get me out of here. And you're not, you, God didn't bring you here to bring clarity into my ministry. So finally they left and I felt good. And somebody asked me, well, how do you feel? And I said, oh, I don't have any problems with them. I love them and everything. So one day I walk into Walmart, I walk around the corner and boom, there's one of them. And the minute I saw that lady, every bad thing in me just flooded in my head. <clears throat> Kill her, Lord. You see, because out of sight and out of mind, out of sight doesn't work. And God had to deal with me and I had to change my heart and my mind about those two women. And before they both died, I really learned to love and appreciate them. And they did me too. So you see, anger doesn't get you anywhere. Because you see, what these people displayed here was a vindictive spirit. We must understand that this is not God's spirit or attitude. An attitude of vengeance may seem logical and justified and personally accepted to us. Others may agree with us, which tells me this real quick. Quit taking other people's offenses. Somebody comes to you and say, you know what she said about me? You know what they did? And right away you get mad at that person. They didn't do anything to you. Why you are you allowing your spirit to take somebody else's offenses and the devil mess you up in the same way? Because God doesn't approve of that. And, and God reveals his attitude to Jeremiah. And they must have been shocked at the idea of what God now begins to tell them. Listen to verse 7. Listen to this. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Pray for Babylon. Are you crazy? We're captives here, prisoners here. And you're asking me to pray for these people? Pray for their welfare. Pray for them to have peace and prosperity. That's what God told them to do. We can easily pray against them, but not for them. We all can identify with the Israelites. How can God expect us to do that? How can he expect us to do that? Yet Jesus calls us to a higher standard in Matthew 5, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew 6, Verse 12, he says, forgive us our debt also as we have forgiven our debtors. And in verse 15, he says, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive yours. And the same God who requires the Israelites to forgive the Babylonians requires us to forgive and pray for our enemies. I have about 75 quotes that I have collected in the last four or five years. And I use them from time to time. And a couple of years ago, I heard Senator, the former Senator Simpson make this statement. And I want you to listen very clearly to this statement. Hatred corrodes the container that it's carried in. Think about it. Hatred corrodes the container that it's carried in. Have you ever bought a jar of, of, of uh, poison or rat poison or a jar of to, to spray weeds or something that is, is very, very poisonous and they tell you not to reuse that container, to throw it out because it's contaminated? That's what hatred does to you and I. It contaminates us. It takes courage for us to not do that. Courage to live by the rules of God, which is forgiveness and mercy and compassion. Are we afraid that by these rules we'll lose? Absolutely not. We will win. And we must realize how close we can come to wanting to hurt others the same way they've hurt us. Because hurt people hurt people. And this alone should bring us to the end of all the things that we want to do. It wasn't long that the Israelites began to realize, listen to this, that they were not not much different to the Babylonians. They began to see their captives as human beings and with the same weakness and the same strength they had themselves. They realized that their own record of mercy wasn't very clean either. But more than anything else, these family oriented Jews saw the Babylonians also as people that had families that they loved. And this is why Jeremiah encouraged them to pray for Babylon in it its peace. You will have peace. And when you finally comprehend that we all share the same city, we all share the same language, the same fears and dreams and hopes, then perhaps we can pray for each other rather than against each other, that we're people. One thing God taught me years ago, when people, for whatever reason, left the church and I felt heartbroken, and And God says, they're not your people, they're mine. Don't worry about it. Pray for them. And I learned to pray for people when they left. Because they weren't mine. They belonged to God. As long as they were in another church serving the Lord, I don't care. As long as they were serving God. Who cares if they went to another church? This church is not for anybody anyway. If this church was for everybody, we would have the whole city here, but we don't. There's a lot of great churches out there. And he said, Pray for these people. You see, God wasn't giving the Israelites an option, peace for peace or welfare for welfare. It was an investment. You know what he said? Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're at. Bloom where you're at. And in the year 2020, I think we all can agree that our world has been rocked. Our plans have been disrupted. Maybe you aren't where you wish you were now in October of 2020. Maybe your whole deal has gone to haywire. Maybe God brought you to this city to be attached to the base or through another company and you're here and you can't stand being in this little town. You want to be with mama and daddy. You want to be in that other state where something else is there. But God brought you here. Why don't you learn to be comfortable where you're at and trust God that if he brought you here, he wants to work something in your life that you need before you go somewhere else. And you may question God, when are you going to open the door for me? And we can refuse to do God's way and continue doing our way and mess our lives up. But when you do that, listen to me, your family members will be greatly affected. Our testimony will be destroyed. God would have been sidetracked and we must give up that long battle of trying to do things our way and trust that God knows what he's doing. So if you're going through a valley in your life tonight and you're in a waiting room and things haven't shifted the way you think they should change your attitude, trust in God, get into a small group, get, in, get into a prayer group, start serving, start sharing of your life, start praising God, take the harp as it wore out of that willow tree and start praising his name, sing for joy unto the Lord, trust in God, believe in due season, God is going to send an answer into your life. I want us to bow our heads. And I want to make this very short, but I do believe that there are people here who need a touch from God. I believe there's people here that you've been waiting, and listen, this is not a embarrassing batter and i than anybody. I've been, I've been in the same spot where I just preached, even while I've been a pastor. My God, where are you? Where in the world are you? I'm ready to quit. Don't quit. And if you need prayer and you want God to touch you and you have a need in your life and you've been seeking God and the devil is just raking you over the coals and you're tired of that. Maybe somebody's done you wrong. Maybe you've been deserted. You've been left out. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or going through one. It could be a business situation. I don't care what it is. If you need prayer and you want to be honest, listen, you're not doing this for me. You're doing it for God. It's between you and God. I want you to raise your hand and put it down very quickly. Say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to do one more thing, and this is going to take a step of faith. And I hope that nobody allows pride to get into your way of you doing what I believe God wants us to do tonight. I want our prayer team, those of you that are here in our prayer team, I want you to come forward and stand up here. And if you need prayer, you want somebody to pray with you, I want you to have the faith to get up out of your seat right now in the name of Jesus. And I want you to come down to this altar let somebody pray with you. Nobody's going to hug you. Nobody's going to have to touch you. Just come down here and let somebody pray for you. I know there are people down here in this building that need God to touch their lives. And I want you to get up quickly and come down here. Let's be be prayed for. The devil is telling some of you, don't go down there. Don't go down here. That's what he wants you not to do because he wants to rob you of what God's going to do for you tonight. He wants to rob you. He wants you to stay in the same boat you're in and he's going to sink your boat. Because the devil is a liar. I want the rest of you to bow your heads. Just stretch your hand forth up here as these people are being prayed for. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. You're answering prayer right now. Your people are reaching out to you, Lord Jesus. I want us to stand quietly and reverently as we stretch our hands forth to those that are up here. Come on. As you guys go ahead and sing.
1: Hallelujah. Place. The Lord, Lord is in him. this place. Come home.